The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude. If you could, would you choose your baby's genetic traits? Genetics, what can it mean? The ability to perfect the physical and mental characteristics of every unborn child. The sci-fi world imagined in the 90s film Gattaca with perfected children could be a reality in the not-too-distant future, thanks to advances in gene editing and DNA analysis. Parents can now choose the gender of their child and even the color of their baby's eyes. I've got black patients right now. They both have green eyes, and they came in, and they heard what we were up to, and they came in for the green eyes. Scientists are also using gene editing to detect genetic anomalies in the hopes of combating serious medical conditions. But there are concerns that the science might go too far. Last year, a scientist edited the DNA that will pass on to the next generation. He thought that he'd be hailed as CRISPR's hero, and instead he ended up taking the role of the villain. The choice is now available, but what about the ethics of all this? If you or I edit our children while they're in embryo, we have permanently changed our species. Our children will have that edit, their children will have that edit, and so on. It's a very tricky path that the world is beginning to walk down, and it's going to change the future of our species as a whole. In this encore edition of The Future of Everything, reporter Jennifer Strong and I examine the technological advances that could permanently alter what it means to be human. When we're doing these genetic studies, people think, oh, I want to find a gene that says I can make a blue-eyed baby, or I want to find a gene that says I can make a uh, green-eyed baby. Right. And we actually do that, but more important than that is we're making sure that there's no gene that would keep you from making a blue-eyed baby. Right. That's Dr. Jeffrey Steinberg, the founder of Fertility Institutes. It offers tests that can determine the gender and eye color of embryos. First, parents must be screened for disease-causing genetic mutations they might pass along to their child, like cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia. Then he can test whether would-be parents have the right combination of genes to get the traits they want in a future child. He's talking to a couple in his Manhattan clinic. And this is telling us that the potential is for you to have a blue-eyed baby, okay? There's also a potential for a green-eyed baby. From there, the process looks like traditional IVF. Doctors need to trick the woman's body into producing multiple eggs by injecting more of the hormone that naturally signals them to start growing. So instead of getting one egg ready, we're getting hopefully 8 or 10 or 12 or 14 eggs ready. So now we've got a test tube full of eggs. That's where test tube baby comes from. Once those eggs are fertilized and developed for a few days, more genetic testing follows to check if the embryos have the desired genes. Then... We call you up and we say, okay, we've got 12 embryos frozen, and embryo number 1, 7, and 11 has blue eyes. And then all we do is prepare your uterus, which is a simple taking some hormones for a couple of weeks, and we give you the blue-eyed baby. Cool. Well, And parents may want to choose their baby's eye color for different reasons. Like Scandinavians all went brown. You know, because we're always shocked when we get the email for somebody asking for brown or dark brown or black. Okay? 
And we said, well, let's look at it. And we analyzed it. It's almost all Scandinavia, Sweden and Norway, because they've all got blue and green. So it's human nature. Like many human traits, eye color isn't determined by a single gene, but a complex interaction of many genes. And in a lab just outside Princeton, New Jersey, the scientific advances enabling the prediction of complex traits reach far beyond eye color. As someone with type 1 diabetes, I consider the fact that if my parents had our test, I wouldn't be here. They would have picked a different embryo. So it's something to think about. I'm Nathan Treff, Chief Science Officer at Genomic Prediction. We could go look Walking through the lab feels clinical, ready, right? but... We're nerds. And so we name each of our instruments based on a character that we like or don't like. So we have several figures from Game of Thrones, Deadpool. Deadpool is kind of because we actually pool DNA together. So, you know, we just do stuff for fun. This lab conducts the type of genetic testing we heard about earlier. Those comet figures were actually fabricated with the same 3D printer used to design a specialized liquid handling robot that helps process delicate tubes of embryonic cells. We can actually test embryos before we select which ones to transfer to prevent disease and reduce the incidence of of disease long term. Genetic tailoring like this has been happening for medical reasons for decades, but it's only just becoming possible for the more cosmetic traits. That's partly because of a reduction in the cost of sequencing, a deeper understanding of genetics, and... Now, it's really only recently with development of large data sets. For example, the UK Biobank has 500,000 genomes with phenotypes available to develop these algorithms that can predict complex traits. It helps us understand the intricate genetic code that makes us who we are and opens up a world of possibilities in determining who we could be. The company recently published research demonstrating how this approach could also be used to predict height. And advances in gene editing technologies like CRISPR could open the door to a world where trait prediction becomes trait prevention. We've seen a lot of work going into genome editing, and I think as we develop more research on the safety, you could actually consider curing these diseases in the embryo prior to pregnancy. Really, the issue is whether or not that's considered ethical. This was the question on everyone's mind when news broke out of China last November of a major and controversial advancement in gene editing. Well, a Chinese researcher claims that he helped make the world's first genetically edited babies. Hot Jen Kui claimed last year that he used technology known as CRISPR to alter the genes of twin girls with the hope of making them resistant to AIDS. The controversial research was roundly condemned because it was shrouded in secrecy and broke with international scientific norms. The blowback was swift, including from one of the pioneers of CRISPR, UC Berkeley biochemist Jennifer Doudna. As someone who's been involved in the genesis of the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology, I I feel deeply disturbed. It's inappropriate and something that we have been working hard to avoid. Dr. He Jianhui was a professor at a Chinese university in the city of Shenzhen, which is kind of akin to the Silicon Valley of China. It's very fast, it's very ambitious, and it's a city that's full of innovation and hope. So that's the context in which, you know, Dr. He was conducting his work. Pratika Rana covers healthcare in Asia for the Wall Street Journal. 
he was a relatively unknown figure in gene science. His background was in physics. He had a doctorate in physics from Rice University in Houston. He then went on to do his postdoctoral research at Stanford. He had not formally trained in CRISPR or gene editing technology per se. But that's the whole point. This technology is so easy to use that anyone can use it. But not even the people who pioneered CRISPR technology had ever used it to edit the germline of human embryos. That's the hereditary section of DNA that gets passed on to your kids and implant them into a woman to carry to term. Dr. Hud did, and twin gene-edited girls were born. This news broke right at the eve of a major gene editing conference. And you had scientists from around the world flying into Hong Kong for a summit that was supposed to debate the ethics of using new powerful technology on humans. And the world was just stunned at the news of this. Researchers had discussed using CRISPR to help people with genetic diseases, but Dr. He engineered the twins to make them resistant to HIV because their father had the virus. And that was part of the reason scientists were surprised. Children of HIV parents can be protected from carrying the virus in other ways, but Pratika says not in China. Most of the Western world, if a father is HIV positive, you could just undergo a routine fertility treatment known as IVF and have a fertility doctor wash the HIV from the father's sperm and you could produce a healthy offspring. In China, you can't do that. So HIV positive couples are barred from IVF treatment. That was only one of many questions Dr. He would have to answer about the gene-edited twins in the weeks to come. Pratika was at the Human Genome Editing Conference in Hong Kong when Dr. He presented his research to the scientific community for the first time. He showed up on day two of the conference, and as he walked into a packed auditorium, there was pin-drop silence. You could hear his footsteps. That's how, you know, silent the room fell as he walked in. And immediately as he took the podium, you had dozens of camera shutters snapping. He spoke about his experiment then, and then he was quizzed by scientists about his methods, his ethics. And you could really tell he was very nervous as he took the podium. At one point, his voice was quivering when he was being asked questions. What is our responsibility as scientists and doctors? May we know your future medical care plan for these babies? How did you convince the, the parents why you choose to cross this line? But at the end of it, he said, I'm proud of what I've done. So there was really a mismatch in terms of the way that he thought the world would perceive him and that specifically his country would perceive him and the way that the world ended up perceiving him. It wasn't just the scientific community that was kept in the dark. Pratika says Dr. He wasn't up front with the other doctors he was working with either. So he didn't tell the fertility doctor who implanted the twins into their mother 
that the embryos were edited and he didn't tell the hospital where this took place, that the embryos were edited either. When the fertility doctor needed the parents' blood sample to test whether they were HIV positive, Dr. Her's team produced an HIV negative man to take the test in place of the real father, just so he could shield the HIV positive status of the family. In the end, the hospital that Dr. Ho claimed signed off on the procedure distanced themselves from the experiment. They said they had no idea. They said the approval document was forged. In fact, Dr. Ho's own university in Shenzhen also washed their hands off of the experiment, even though all the participants were flown down to the university, their informed consent process which is a process where Dr. Hur sat down with the participants individually, ran them through the trial, told them the risks, told them exactly how the trial worked. It all took place at the university. But when it led to global outrage, everyone in China washed their hands of Dr. Hur. There has been a failure of self-regulation by the scientific community. China has given no details on where the gene-edited twin girls are, who's taking care of them now, or how they'll be monitored in the future. In fact, their identity is a state secret. The same goes for the current whereabouts of Dr. He. So in a lot of ways, it's interesting because, you know, on one hand, the scientific community should really have come together and taken collective responsibility for what happened and really introspected to say, well, how did we get here? Who knew? And can we quit pointing fingers and figure out how we can avoid exactly the situation going forward? China has developed stricter gene editing guidelines for scientists to mirror those in the U.S., And the World Health Organization has set up a committee of scientists to look into the ethics and applications of gene editing and develop global guidelines for the future. But what if they can't come to a consensus on how gene editing should and should not be used? Scientists are worried that somewhere down the line, gene editing could become standard procedure in some places and not in others. There's also the ethics of what happens if people are coming into your country with edited genes, and they're succeeding more than the local population. That's Abishur Prakash. He's a geopolitical futurist who studies the risks and opportunities of emerging tech. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. In China right now, the Beijing Genomics Institute is working on a project to find the genes responsible for intelligence. And they've been working on this project since 2012, and they've interviewed about 2,000 people with very high IQs. And one of the goals of the project is to increase the IQ of every generation by 5 to 15 points. Now, if you think about that for a second, a research institute in China is working on a project to enhance the intelligence of the Chinese population. Now, let's say China uncovers the genes in the near future, whether it's 2022 or 2025 or 2030, and they start to provide it to its own population. And people in China become smarter. People in China become more entrepreneurial. Millennials, the elderly, 
the unemployed. Everybody gains from enhanced intelligence. Will these people stay in China or will they start to go to other countries? And will other countries allow them to succeed, these edited humans from another country? Or will they view these edited humans as a threat? Controlling the genetic makeup of future generations is going to be dependent on the culture in which they're raised. And if a country's advances in gene editing spark a wave of medical tourism, how do governments protect the genetic privacy of their citizens? So if you imagine a lot of people from the U.S. traveling to, say, India to get their genes edited for much cheaper than it might be in the U.S., all of a sudden companies in India will have access to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people's genetic code. And what might they do with this? It's possible gene-edited humans could be weaponized to become better soldiers, or gene-edited crops could cause the rise of new trade disputes. You know, gene editing, whether it's enhanced intelligence, whether it's curing diseases, whether it's designer babies in all possibilities, or whether it's food security, gene editing is going to allow countries to really transform their society and destiny. And in that world, they might ignore these traditional institutions, and that creates a huge disruption in the framework and structure that the world has operated in for so many decades. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. This episode was reported by Jennifer Strong and produced by Emma Silicons, Daniela Hernandez, and Amy Doxer-Marcus. Our technical director is Jacob Gorski. Kateri Yoakum is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Green. Enter a revolutionary business world where AI meets power with Intel Core Ultra and Intel vPro. Imagine PCs that boost productivity, creativity, and collaboration with cutting-edge AI. They're gateways to innovation, engineered with powerful AI performance, hardware-based security, and AI-powered threat detection. Plus, they're built sustainably and can be managed remotely. Transform your workflow with Intel Core Ultra and Intel vPro today. No product can be absolutely secure. Become an IT hero at intel.com slash IT heroes.